Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Molk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as neighborhood Asian and local homosexual, author, The Family Law and Geisha, contributor, Good Weekend, The Monthly, and Frankie, screenwriter, hashtag The Family Law SBS. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Benjamin Law. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be talking to you, Ben. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. I basically, every time I meet a new person, I come up to them and I tell them my Twitter bio right from the top. No. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, how does anyone introduce themselves in social settings? Hey, my name's Benjamin. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't don't assume people know me because Twitter's a very particular place and, um, you know, online space. So usually say, hi, I'm Ben. What do you do? I'm usually more interested in other people really. That door then will swing back to you though. How do you answer the, what do you do, Ben? What do I do? I guess writer is the most accurate description because whatever I'm working on usually involves me standing at my computer and punching out words. So lately I've been a screenwriter for this TV show based on a book that I wrote, The Family Law, which will be on SBS next year. So I write books as well. My bread and butter work is writing magazine articles and I'm also doing research for a documentary at the moment. So everything involves text. Um, That's probably, I think all of us have different ways of receiving information by default. I think all of us watch a bit of telly, listen to a lot of radio or podcasts, read a lot. But I think most of us are probably geared towards one medium or kind of communication. And mine's always been text. It's always been reading. And I guess that's why I write as well. How has the way you consume that text changed Oh, that's a good question. Well, when I was growing up, I mean, what we had were books and magazines. And I, I was always a huge book reader as a kid. Then mm-hmm. as a teenager, I think something changed because you know how young adult fiction is such a big genre nowadays? Yeah. And young adult books are pretty fantastic as well. They trust young people with a lot of big themes and big stories. And mm-hmm. I just didn't get the sense that that was as big a thing growing up for me, or at least it wasn't this section of the bookstore called young adult. So I sort of went off books a little when I was a teenager. I didn't really identify with a lot of books we were being given at school or at the library. So I started reading magazines a lot. I was obsessed with magazines, Rolling Stone, Juice, all that stuff. So I was was basically living at the news agency. And in my early (laughs) years of university, I, I actually worked at a news agency as well. And then through university, I started reading a lot more books, started reading a lot more newspapers seriously as well. It's always been in print because, look, I'm, I'm a child of the 90s, went to university in the early thousands, so it really was about that's what you read. I was working for Street Press, read a lot of that sort of stuff as well. Mm. And I guess nowadays it's really a combination. So when I'm at my desk, obviously I'm in front of my computer, so I'm reading a lot of stuff online, send articles to Instapaper, but my default is still print in bed or on the dunny. I know that's sort of gross yeah. for, for a lot of people, but you get a lot of excellent reading done on the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. I have very fond memories of uh, a magazine rack that I made in year, oh, I'm going to say 10 manual arts, found a home oh, yeah. down beside the toilet in the kids' bathroom Isn't where that great? books and stuff ended up. And is this does that still is that still in circulation this magazine rack? Oh, I think it had to be like exercised. 
Right, it needed to be burnt from all the bacteria yes. that had gathered on it. Oh, and just some, yeah, some souls crept into it. It needed to be gone. <laughs> it was haunted. It was haunted. <laughs> Look, the way that I, I'm the eldest of four kids, two boys, two girls. Yeah, by the time that it needed to go, it had to go. Yeah, you needed to call a priest. <laughs> they had to get it out via calipers. <laughs> ben, what can't you tolerate? Oh, that's an interesting question. What can't I tolerate? Assholes, uh, mm-hmm. arrogance. Um, I can't tolerate. Look, to be honest, a lot of my friends have told me that one of my worst traits is tolerating too much in people. They're like, wow. Ben, that person is an absolute dickhead or a, an asshole, and you need to be able to just say to them that they are. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe they've had a rough childhood or maybe they've got a really interesting <laughs> yes. backstory. I'm, I'm always trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. So in terms of people, there are probably traits that I think are a little bit gross. Mm. Self-obsession and narcissism rubs me the wrong way, but I think there's a place for that sometimes as well. What can't I tolerate? Bad odours, um, poor personal hygiene. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I Look, I think I'm a pretty tolerant person generally, which is probably surprising given the amount of things I bitch about, <laughs> bitch about on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and to the same end, though, I would, I, and I, this is a supposition, Ben, you can shoot me right down. I would imagine, given that you're a person who's very intelligent, very articulate, writes a lot, you're in the public eye, you cop a bit of heat over that. Yeah, but definitely not as much as if I were female. And I know that's quite, a, that's quite a glib statement to make, but I look at my colleagues or people I consider my peers who happen to be women and the kind of abuse they get in volume is much greater yeah. than mine. The, the nature and the tone is doubly, if not worse, um, just as violent and offensive, sexist, um, threatening, rapey, essentially. I don't yeah. get that stuff. You know, I might get a few racist barbs occasionally and, you know, yeah. every few days, especially if I've been particularly active on Twitter, there'll be someone who's just generally unpleasant, but I'm happy to mute them and yeah. that way they can feel they can direct anything towards me, but I don't register that stuff yes. and, and I'm quite happy about that arrangement. But but generally, no. I think most of my stuff, especially on Twitter nowadays, I, I probably don't send as many pungent things out into the world. Every so often I'll have a spray about something. But, you know, recently I read that John Ronson book, um, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Have you have you come across that, Mark? No, I, I've heard it referenced and I've read... I read something about it. I haven't read it yet. It's really, really good. And I almost feel like before anyone starts using Twitter, especially, that it should be a part of like a license. Like you need to read John Watson's (laughs) book before you get your Twitter license because because it's really fascinating the kind of public shaming that goes onto Twitter. And if you've caught a bit of abuse yourself or if you've made some sort of error that's public or something that's a little bit disgraceful and it goes online, you've had a bit of a taste of that and... The book really deals with case studies where people receive it on a really large and frightening scale. And it just reminds you that there are these human stories behind the the funneled outrage that happens on Twitter. Yeah. So I think ever since I've read that, I've been a bit more moderate in how I use it. And as a result, 
coming back to what you were originally asking me about, as a result, it's not like I attract that much horror nowadays as I used to. But certainly I think of um, dear friends of mine, people like Marie Cardi, Clementine Ford, mm. Amy Gray. These are these are women in the public sphere who are, are articulate and smart and funny and savage and the response they get back does is not justified considering the type of stuff they put out there. Is it equal opportunity hate, i.e. the people offering it to the ladies that you just mentioned in that context? Is it, do you think, uh, an even balance between women and men or is it just men being absolutely abhorrent? Yeah, I think it, I think it's funny. Of course, women are really capable of being quite abhorrent on Twitter as well with the type of things that they put up there. But mm. women don't tend to direct uh, threats of violence, especially sexual yeah. violence against fellow women or, or men. And uh, men aren't all uh, responsible for that stuff, but the people who do do it are usually uniformly men. You know what I mean? It's not yes. all men who are just repugnant and vile, but the people who are usually culprits of that sort of behaviour usually are men. And I think that reflects a broader culture of a sexism that we don't really want to acknowledge. I mean, mm. I remember in the early days of Twitter when I was a little bit more feral, I probably said some really reprehensible things about Miranda and De- Miranda Devine and Janet Albrechtson where I'm like, oh, Ben, that's probably not quite right. I think I accused Miranda Devine of being a sorceress at one stage. I have, I have a lot of respect for the dark arts of sorcery, I should add, but that's not really something, like like nowadays I just feel like it's just feeding fuel on the fire. Do I really, does this person really affect my life that much? There's always going to be people writing heinous crap. So my, my boyfriend is very good. He's always telling me, you know, Ben, make no small enemies. And a lot of these enemies are aren't that, you know, aren't that big anyway. So it's about choosing your battles, really. When was the last time you picked a battle? Mm, The last time I picked a battle. You know, there was a battle the other day that I really wanted to pick and I prevented myself from it because there's there's a particular conservative commentator who's always talking about the gays as if he's not one himself. And I think he's probably <laughs> open about his sexuality and sexual preference amongst the people on a needs-to-know basis, the people around him who were close to him. But yes. it's always bothered me that he's talked about this other group of people as though he doesn't belong to it. And I was almost this close to saying, you know what, dude, aren't you one of them? I was just like, oh, but then I realised, yeah, publicly outing someone, I don't think is always, I don't think is ever ended well. So I stopped myself from doing that. So that's an example of a battle that I stopped myself from engaging in. But probably the last really big one was years ago. It was probably with Kevin Andrews and his wife, Margaret Andrews, you know, the former defence minister. This was was way, way back. But it's funny that every every time Kevin Andrews is in the news... This story I wrote about my encounter with Kevin and Margaret Andrews <laughs> pops, back pops back up and has this new lease on life. It's like the dinner party story that no one will shut up about. But I guess it's I guess it's kind of delicious as well because I was giving a speech at a conference, um, a family services conference. Yes. Uh, Kevin Andrews was there. Jenny Macklin was there. She was the she was the family's minister at the time, and yep. he was the opposition. I gave this speech about diversity in families because that was my job. The conference theme was sure. about diversity, and diversity encompasses racial diversity, sexual diversity, gender diversity. Talked a lot about sexual diversity, and you know, a lot of families out there with same sex parents, for instance. Mm-hmm. 
who aren't really getting the acknowledgement and legal sort of protections that they deserve all the time. And Margaret Andrews had this spray at me after at the signing table. And what made it even worse was I wasn't even aware who she was initially. (laughs) (laughs) And after she did and after I realised who she was, um, I was just so taken aback that that a politician's wife, that that a person of such public significance would act in such a really strange high school sort of manner. And after I recovered from being shaken up, of course, I talked to my boyfriend about it and he reminded me, hey, Ben, aren't you a writer? Why don't you write about what happened? (laughs) That went on crikey um, because uh, Sophie Black was the editor at the time. Love Mm. Sophie Black. And I was like, hey, Sophie, should I write about this weird thing that just happened to me tonight? And she's like, yes, write it, write like the wind. (laughs) Wrote it, went online and the funny thing about it is as soon as it went online, it was circ- circulated so quickly that it crashed Crikey's website because wow. everyone wanted to read about this encounter. So that's probably the last fight that I thought, look, I'm actually involved in this because I still feel quite scandalised about what happened to me this evening. I'm going to engage. I'm going to be a little bit feral because someone was a little bit feral to me. Yeah. Um we ended up being in touch with Kevin Andrews' office about it as well, which was hilarious. There were some personal exchanges going on for a while there. Um, and that's when I felt like I could be really invested because I'd had this sort of very personal confrontation. Um, mm. And then I'm sure there have been instances since where I've called people out for acting in a really gross way online or in real life. Um, but it hasn't been like a a really significant um, scrag fight behind the locker room sheds, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. That does give me an excellent visual at Parliament House, though. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine the scrag fights that go on there. I mean, basically politics are scrag fights in suits, really, aren't they? (sighs) Yes, some very publicly, some more eloquent than others. Absolutely, absolutely. That's kind of why I like uh, politics, really, why I'm so interested in it, because when you come down to it, so much of it is that sort of high school viciousness, but it's something that we can pretend that we're into because, I mean, there are much bigger stakes, of course, behind that mm. high school viciousness, but there is that element of catfighting that I quite, I quite like to follow. <laughs> Would you ever perform your civic duty? and stand oh my god i'd be the worst politician and and why well it's interesting i I have a strange attitude towards politicians which is a deep ambivalence it's it's deep respect that they've put themselves in that position because it's such an important 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 job that i think is such a vital part of public service and that people dedicate their lives to this is enormously um it takes enormous discipline and dedication and for that i respect politicians and the the sort of office of being a minister in general on the other hand i always just think they're slight psychopaths like who puts themselves in a position to say i am so confident that what i stand for is right that i should have a role in the governance of this either municipality or, in the case of federal politicians, country. You know, like, I think there there is a level of ego and psychopathy that comes with convincing yourself that you're the right person to do that, which is why I also find them such fascinating creatures. But I don't think in 
at any stage would I make a good politician whatsoever. I think I think one of the things about politics, for better or for worse, is that they need to be so convinced of their stance in things. Whereas I, you know, a lot of the work I do is journalism or bears some resemblance to journalism. And I think in order to be a, a good nonfiction writer or have that journalistic instinct, you have to have a lot of doubt about yourself and about your prejudices and about your belief systems and all that sort of stuff mm. um, that I don't think politicians are usually, uh, they don't usually have the luxury of indulging in. So, no, I wouldn't stand for office. And oh, and plus, Malk, the other thing for standing for office is usually you'd have to join a political party and yeah. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> I mean, I think I've, I've hated all political parties for some reason or another at any given stage. It's kind of like religion, isn't it? I think, like, mm. of course, people who are religious get into politics, but I think it's it's sort of a standing for religion for non-believers as well. Like if you're non-religious but you have that sort of zeal for belonging to a church or a group or a faction, you politics is really appealing. And that's never really appealed to me. I'm so I'm so not a team player, Malk. I'd be I'd be terrible. <laughs> I'd be awful. I'd constantly be calling out my own team, telling them how terrible they were. That that wouldn't work. Everybody needs um I was going to say everybody needs a Wilson Tucky, but he's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, I and and plus the the paperwork. I mean, that's what yeah. people forget. All they see is the sort of the battling in Question Time. The theatre of Question Time really appeals to me. You know, it, it appeals mm. to the former high school debater debater in me. But but so much of your job, if you're doing it properly, is being across the detail, and I find that difficult and challenging enough as as a writer but to institute public policy oh my god i'm so glad there are smarter people out there in the world who are able to do it i mean whether they are smarter or not is questionable but you know it seems like they are i think oh no no not not what i think do you think that the smartest politician is someone who has a, an incredibly smart group of people working for them Oh, God, you'd hope so, right? I've always really been bothered by this whole thing where politicians need to appeal to the public and be the everyman or the every person. I'm like, I don't want my politicians to be like me. I want them to be so, so much smarter, so much more articulate. I want them to intimidate me with how fantastic and unreasonably great they are. I don't want them to be someone... I really even care about that much, you know. I just want them to yeah. do such a great job to be one of those outstanding people because the jobs they have to do have to be are, are inherently challenging and astronomically difficult. If politicians had, if I could relate to politicians, then I, I'd be worried, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> what do you do really well? Oh, that's a really interesting question. What do I do really well? Um, housework. I'm doing some at the moment. Um, nice. I, I like chats. I like chatting mm. to people. I like, you know, at a, at a writer's festival setting, for instance, I'm, I'm much more comfortable chatting to people, being the interrogator, asking the impertinent questions rather than getting the impertinent questions. I mean, I'm, I'm happy doing either, mm. but I like getting people's stories you know, my boyfriend and I are quite similar. He's a producer for the ABC. 
Mm. And at the end of a party, he'll come back having heard the whole life story of someone. I'm not sure if that person speaking to my boyfriend knows anything about him, (laughs) but my boyfriend will have gotten this incredible biography. And that's often what I tend to do as well. I'm really interested in, you know, people's families and their backgrounds. I mean, that, that makes me sound noble, but it's not noble at all. It's just me being a complete busybody. So what, <laughs> what am I, what am I good at? I guess I'm good at being a sticky beak. Um, I, I'm, I'm good at baking. I can bake you stuff, Malk. Nice. Um, I'm good at procrastinating. Um, I'm, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe those are my strengths. I'm good at losing things. You know, every time I go on a trip, I lose things very easily. Um, yeah, those things. I'm really good at accepting baked things. Oh, great. I'll get your address after this. I'll send you some cookies in the mail. You're very generous. What was the last thing of value that you lost? Oh, I actually almost lost my watch this weekend. I've just found it. But every time I go on an interstate or international trip, any trip involving planes, Mm. I will probably lose something. So, like, within this year alone, I've lost a digital SLR camera or I've had it stolen. I've lost a pair of very expensive French sunglasses, which is just why I wear cheap sunglasses now. I've lost books I'm in the middle of reading. I've lost, um, you know, I, I always carry around a stainless steel water bottle like a insulated flask i think i've lost three of them already (laughs) which kind of defeats the purpose of you trying to save money by not buying bottled water and save the environment um yeah i just i just lose a lot of things on value which is why at the start of every year i get this annual travel insurance policy because i get a lot of use out of it i'm a walking disaster this is why this is why i don't have children milk if i children I'd probably just lose them at the airport and you can't claim that sort of stuff on travel insurance. You can try. I know, I know. How much are they worth? Yeah. (laughs) Open market, it's really a sliding scale. Yeah, it's mainly their organs that people are interested in, I guess. Yeah, at least we hope so. (laughs) How do you describe your experience of family? My experience of family is an interesting one. So my parents are first-generation Hong Kong migrants, which is the easiest way of putting it because my dad was actually born in the south of China. My mum was born in Malaysia, but they're both Cantonese and then they spent their sort of young young years, their youth in Hong Kong, which is where they met. They moved to Australia. They did what migrants do very well often, which is breed prolifically. So they had... (laughs) Five children in um, Queensland's Sunshine Coast, great, which is a great part of Australia, but hilariously monocultural. It's still one of the whitest, you know, municipalities in Australia, Mm -hmm. I think. So we were like this huge, sprawling Chinese-Australian family, five kids amongst a very, very white community. And I had a great childhood because I think when you grow up with a lot of siblings, um, you know, especially when none of them are psychopathic, um, <laughs> you'll, you'll have a great time. You know, growing up with your natural allies is a fantastic thing. Um, when I was 12, my, my parents split up, so that was a pretty rough time of, of growing up. My high school years weren't particularly happy because my parents split up when I, was in, when I started grade 8. And the divorce wasn't finalised until I finished year 12. And so there was just this whole protracted experience of divorce 
just done in slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I guess, because it's a big family. So to divorce is a big thing as well Mm. to, for my mum to sort of become a single mum of five kids was a really big thing. Um, I think it took its toll on my dad. Meanwhile, being the center of uh, a lot of gossip amongst the sort of small but tight-knit Chinese-Australian community in my area, you know, it felt very exposing and the the tensions in my family were quite, quite big. But, of course, the old saying is that tragedy plus time equals comedy and certainly (laughs) when I was an adult I looked back at a lot of those experiences like my dad trying to craft a really good custody weekend out at the local Australian zoo and us getting attacked by native fauna, you know, and Amy trying to attack us, this gang of small little Asians. And I just think, actually, that's pretty funny that we were so miserable and being attacked by emus and wallabies (laughs) at the time. wasn't fun then, but, you know, it's sort of hilarious as an adult. So that that became the basis of my first book, The Family Law. So I'm always very preoccupied with family. Can I ask whereabouts on the Sunshine Coast did you grow up? I'm from there, so I'm interested oh, to know no way. your experience. Where, where, where on the Sunshine Coast were you from, Mog? Oh, Kiwana boy. Oh, same here. We grew up. Are you serious? Oh, dude, like we grew up like around the corner from Kiwana Shopping World. That's so hilarious. Which school did yes. you go to? I did some primary school at Bedina Primary. Yes. And I went to high school at Kiwana Water State High. Good on you. That's where my cousin went. And that's where we were going to go as well, except my cousin was bullied very badly. And so my parents were like, none of you are going to that high school because you're going to stick out. Um, And so they sent us to the very, very pleasant Lutheran school, Emmanuel Lutheran College. College. Yeah. 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 We We were, you know. God-fearing, God-fearing school, even though we weren't a God-fearing, <laughs> God-fearing family. <laughs> I'm not surprised that they didn't send you or that your cousin was bullied there. I mean, I, I was the, I was the fat kid in my oh. year. Um, oh no, don't oh. please. It's, it's so tough being that that kid, is isn't it? Like whatever you are, where it's like that fat kid or that Asian kid mm. or you know that kid with a disability. Like you just, it's just kids are so vicious. Yeah. And and when you're trying to find your tribe, it makes it a very it sometimes protracted, sometimes emotional journey in the process. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, so we it would in a parallel universe we did go to that school, but I think my teen years would have been very different. <laughs> for better or for worse. Well, yeah, you either would have been someone who rode motorbikes on the weekend uh and smoked pot, or someone who surfed every morning and smoked pot. Wow. Both options kind of sound hot to me, though. <laughs> <laughs> and and another little just side fact: my uncle was the uh, groundsman at Emmanuel Lutheran College for the longest time. Your uncle was Mister Malkentine. I yes, totally know who you're talking about. Yeah, he would always be like with his short shorts mowing the lawn. He was super yeah. friendly. Huh, that's my uncle that's so Barry. Funny. I know exactly. I know your um. I know your family lineage. Yes, and my cousins all went there, his kids, all that sort of stuff. Oh, no way. Oh, well, this is this is a lovely sort of reunion podcast, really, a reunion we didn't even know was going to happen. A coming together. Yeah, that's right. I feel like we need to start a campfire now. <laughs> um, how does Kumbaya go? What Christmas traditions do you have that you hold dear, Ben? 
Ah, Christmas is actually one of those holidays I really love. I think there are those mm. people, you can't feel halfway about Christmas. You either really love Christmas or you hate it, right? Mm. And yeah. I've always loved it, which is surprising because my family's had a really quite a few horrible Christmases that have descended <laughs> yes. into huge arguments. You know, those Christmases where even when my parents were divorcing, we still tried to get them in the same room. I don't know why we tried to do that <laughs> horrible <laughs> idea. But the traditions have always been because we're not we're not a Christian family. Christmas mm. is more of that you know commercial coming together and opening present kind of thing. And it's kind of fantastic because once you become adults with your individual lives as well, it's harder to have an occasion where you see your family all together outside of births, deaths, deaths and marriages. So uh, Christmas has kind of been sacred ground for us. Mm. It's a typical Queensland thing. So there's always seafood. Um, yes. Now that we're all adult and a lot of us are coupled, we usually involves partners as well, which is always great because people are a much better behaviour when partners are around. <laughs> you can't show off the full extent of how hideous you are to each other when partners are around. So yes. lately for the last few years, it's been my boyfriend, my sister's husband, my boyfriend's mum, all coming together and just eating a crap load of stuff. But the main the main tradition, which isn't a particularly special tradition or anything, but it's that everyone has still maintained getting everyone else a present, even though yes. there are so many people in my family. It takes unwrapping the presents a very long time. <laughs> yes. You know, and then there are photos because, you know, we're Asian. So there are a lot of... <laughs> There are so many photos and it's like every combination of people with every way of giving a present, you know, the, the pre-present opening photo, mm. the during, the after, takes hours, takes hours. It's They never looked at again, are they, what's those the, photos? What's that? Oh, no way, no, because, like, why would you want it? <laughs> it's crazy. That's so great, though. Mm. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Hmm. Well, I'll have recorded this podcast with your good self. Um, Check. The Family Law, the TV show that we've been doing on SBS, that will be out mm -hmm. in the first quarter of 2016. I'm also working on a documentary with Blackfella Films at the moment. Excellent. So I'm a researcher for a documentary, a feature documentary that they're doing also for SBS. Not sure yes. how much I can say about that except that I'm on board and working hard on this documentary that I really think will be an important bit of television when it comes yes. out. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be broadcast in the next 12 months, which is bizarre because I've only just started working on it. It's so scary to even think work about Work harder, that. Ben, work harder. I know, I know. Um, hopefully we'll have started on another book. Not sure what book that will be, but hopefully we'll have started. I will have, and that's just professional stuff. I feel like personal yeah. achievements are also, you know, something I think about a lot. And I'm moving my, helping my mum move out of the childhood home for the first time, like in three decades. So that's going to be a wow. huge move that we're doing. Um, and what else? Maybe thinking about what the Family Law Season 2 would look like if anyone's interested in watching it. So there's a lot of screen stuff going on um, in, this, in the coming 12 months, Malk. Lots of writing involved. I really am very excited 
for uh, the series for Family Law. Oh, thank you so um, much, and thanks for your support so far as well. It's been fantastic, dude. It's it, a cracking read. So take that, translate it into you know the kind of comedy we can expect. Uh, written, you know, with your involvement and, and the, the team that are making it, I think it's going to be excellent. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, look, the, the, the show is actually pretty much done and dusted, so I know what it looks like. We're putting the trailers together at the moment. Excellent. I, I feel great about it, and that's not big noting myself because it's such a team effort. The direction mm. is amazing. The designers have done such a great job, and the actors as well. You know, it's not often we see a... 90% non-white cast on Australian TV. Usually it's yeah. the other way around, 90 or more percent white. And, you know, considering one in 10 Australians have significant Asian background, we think it's time for a show like this. So we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, it, it'll be right in the back pocket. I think it's going to be excellent, Ben. Oh, thanks, Mark. Uh, mate, thank you so much for your time today, for the things that you've shared. They're, they're very special, very precious. And, and I uh, I want to tell you that you're appreciated, highly valued. And, and I thank you for, for your time today. Thank you so much, Mark. You're such a force for good. And it's so great speaking to a fellow Kiwana alumni. <laughs> That's so great that we have that connection. And I love Shopping Town will never be the same. Absolutely. I'll probably see you there one day when we're both back on home turf for some reason. Very clearly you're on Twitter, Ben. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Mm, Instagram, same handle, at Mr. Benjamin Law. And that's pretty much it. Facebook's sort of a locked shop. It's just, you know, for for family and friends really. But, you know, I'm a total slut on Instagram and, and Twitter. And I invite everyone to join me on this expedition of social media sluttery. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Mr. Benjamin Law is indeed human. <laughs>